The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, who is on a little break. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www cancersupportcommunity.org. Making decisions that are best for you, advocating for timely treatment, finding affordable and high-quality care, sharing your story to help others, all of these are ways to be an empowered patient. Feeling empowered to take control of your own cancer experience can make a big difference in your cancer journey and the journey of others. Here at the Cancer Support Community, we strive to ensure that everyone impacted by cancer is an empowered patient. And in this first episode of our hashtag CSC Empower series, we will talk about what it means to be an empowered patient with someone who really had to learn how to become empowered the hard way um, in order to get the treatment that she really deserved. And um, joining us today is just that, that person um, that I want to introduce to you. I've, I've had the chance to get to know Julie over a number of months now, probably close to uh, a year. So Julie Klein is um, here with us, and I had the opportunity to work with her as a part of a project that we did here at the Cancer Support Community called An Insight into Patient Access to Care and Cancer. Julie was gracious enough to share with us her story during that period, both as a part of our survey and as a part of the, the videotape. And at the end of the, the show here today, I'll give you that link so you can go um, see her in action. Julie enjoyed a long career as a manager in the telecommunications industry and also had dreams of becoming an author. After leaving her corporate life, Julie faced two very aggressive cancers back-to-back, and she'll share her story with us about those. Um, Many battles with her insurance company and actually a cancellation from her HMO that left her fighting for her own affordable quality health care. She's now healing through love, laughter, friendship, and better health insurance. In addition to helping us understand what that experience looked like, she has also documented her journey and realized her dream of becoming an author in a book recently released called My Healthcare is Killing Me, A Personal Journey. And I had the opportunity to read this book in um, in the March time frame, and it's, it's fantastic. The book's now available on Amazon, and her experience has helped her become a tireless advocate for better health care not for cancer survivors, but for all Americans. So welcome to the show, Julie. We are so happy to have you. Hello, Linda. I'm so happy to be here, and it's so good to visit with you again. 
Well, thank you. And I'm going to I'm going to start right off with having you talk a little bit about your story. Um, and you know what was what was it like? What did you go through? How you got here today? And um, you know what really you know brings you to to the point of patient empowerment? Very good. Well, I think the most unusual thing about my case was that I had two back to back cancers that were unrelated. For most of us that are familiar with cancer, when you have to deal with more than one diagnosis, usually the original tumor spread. But in my case, I, I just kept growing aggressive tumors, and, you know, that was so terrifying to me. I had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was just literally on my last treatment, and I went for a normal GYN follow-up, and they found something. They thought it was a cyst on my ovary, so I went in for surgery, and then a week later, the pathology came back that it was a very rare form of appendix cancer. So I needed an additional surgery and, and more chemo. So as my oncologist said, I've, I've had enough chemo to kill a large elephant. So that was kind of my um, journey with the healthcare system. But the interesting thing about the two different cancers, my first cancer was the most common form of breast cancer, invasive ductal carcinoma. So my team was so competent as far as the protocol of what to do. It was like, we do this, then we do this, then we do this. And there was a scheduled thing that, you know, everyone with that diagnosis has that protocol. Completely different, terrifying scenario with the second cancer, which was called mucinous edema carcinoma of the appendix. So rare that only like at the time they had told me like only 600 people in the country had had that type of cancer. So when you're diagnosed with a rare cancer, the team that was so efficient in knowing what to do with me, you know, there was like this loss. And when your doctors don't know what to do, it's very, very scary. So we'll kind of start with with that time frame as far as, um, you know, the cancers go. Now, my healthcare situation was completely different, but that is the diagnosis aspect of my care. And, and so just give us a, a, just a quick time frame. Those were literally back-to-back. Literally back-to-back. I, was, I found the lump myself in 2000, early, um, I'm sorry, October 2007, I found the lump myself for the breast cancer. It took a while to get treated, and we'll get into that. But um, my last treatment, because I had a year and a half of protocol, so I was on my last Herceptin treatment when the second one was found. So I was literally in the healthcare system for years between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mentioned that you had some challenges with, you know, the system. So just talk us through what were those challenges and, and how did you choose to face them? I can start off talking about delays. Now, uh, I think like so many people, I was on an HMO. And an HMO, all of your care needs to be improved by your insurance company in order for them to cover any of your care. So in my case, it led to a lot of troubling delays. I was um, diagnosed in early 2008. I found the lump in October, and then I was diagnosed in early 2008, and then I didn't have my first real treatment until Valentine's Day. I remember it so clearly because it was Valentine's Day. And the reason for those delays were um, insurance uh, snafus. They they were bureaucratic problems with getting access to my care. 
and it was just kind of one delay after another that kept pushing and pushing my my care back. Um, I can give you a more specific example. Um, For example, I would have an appointment scheduled with an oncologist that I thought took my insurance. Now, when you're newly diagnosed with cancer, your very first oncology appointment is terrifying. Um, so, you know, the night before, I just, I, I'm so nervous. I'm ready to go meet my oncologist, which in itself is surreal. And you get a phone call saying, oh, I'm sorry, the appointment that you've got scheduled for tomorrow has to be canceled because your insurance isn't covering this appointment. I'm like, I don't understand. I thought they took my insurance. So this is when the navigating of how to be your own advocate stepped up. I knew that didn't make any sense. So I called my insurance company, and the first person I spoke with didn't seem to have any answers. So I said, you know what, let me speak to your supervisor. And, you know, you know the drill, let me speak to your supervisor. So finally, after uncovering this, and this took days because, you know, sometimes the holidays kick in and nobody's calling you back. So days are going by. Finally, I get an answer. And the problem was, they were looking under O for oncologist, where in the, in the insurance world, it's listed under H for hematology slash oncology. Mm. That was just one of the delays I faced of many. Yeah, and it sounds like you had to um, not only deal with the words, you have cancer, but you have cancer and you need to get control of, of your destiny pretty quickly. Right. Right, right. Yeah. So how did you do that? When you think about having to navigate this, you know, confusing environment where you now have a new language of cancer, you know, had you had any experience like this before or did you, what did you do to learn along the way? Well, luckily for me, my corporate background served me well. Uh, I had trained a lot of new employees. That was one of my favorite jobs in my corporate life. Um, I train new hire employees basically how to talk to customers and how to treat people. And I have a lot of management experience. So I knew that if something didn't make sense or if I wasn't happy with something, I knew how to escalate up the food chain to get to someone who could help me or had some accountability. But even in that process, what disturbed me so much is in the healthcare system itself, nobody seemed to care. There was no sense of urgency that my life was on the line here. You know, I was facing one delay after another, and as I'm calling and calling and begging, you know, saying, can't somebody do this? This doesn't make sense. It was just another Tuesday to them. I was just a folder on somebody's desk. And when you're in the healthcare system over and over and over again, you know, if it was just the one cancer, I may have been able to get get out unscathed emotionally. But when you're in that system for a couple years, it starts to weigh on you. Like, you know, maybe my life isn't worth saving. Nobody really seems to have my back here. Mm-hmm. And so, so give us an example of, of a time when you, you know, really had to step in in order to get, you know, the treatment that you needed, you know, as an example for others who might be facing a similar situation. You know, I... I in preparing for this interview, I, I had trouble with this question. I'm going to tell you why. A more accurate description of my experience would be, when did I not have mm-hmm. to spend? Mm-hmm. I was kind of white-knuckling it for years, just 
kind of um, in a state of high alert, like, where do I have to go now? Who do I have to talk to now? You know, um, it, it wouldn't really create a, a fair picture to say, oh, I remember this one time. It was mm-hmm. day after mm-hmm. day after day. So let's say that there is someone who is sort of facing what you're facing. Um, you know, what, would you, what, what, what advice would you give them to sort of just dissecting this big picture that just feels so overwhelming, you know, into small manageable pieces to get what they need? Well, I developed a strategy, which anyone that reads my book, I didn't always live up to my strategy. But my, my strategy, because... I, I am a really nice person, and I wanted to go through this as a really nice person. And kind of everyone I met just developed friendships along the way, but I think I would have died if I, you know, stayed with that theory. Um, what my philosophy was is kind and polite, but persistent. And I'll, I'll give you one example. After a year of breast cancer treatments, I had a scare on the other breast. It turned out not to be cancer, but I had to have a biopsy. Now, I had been in my HMO system long enough with the referral systems to know that if I didn't stay on top of things, I didn't want another three months to go by in that state. So I knew I had to stay on top of things. And one of the particular problems I had was getting referrals from my office. So what I would do, and bear in mind that I'm pretty weak and pretty sick because I've just been through a year of treatment for breast cancer. So um, every day I would call and say, you know, is my referral ready? And then when I kept getting no, 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 I would actually drive to the office every single morning. Sometimes I would bring donuts or, you know, just a show of gesture, and I would walk in and say, hey, good morning. Got my referral today? No? Okay. See you tomorrow. Next morning. Drive in. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Got your got my referral today? Okay, no. See you tomorrow. And just that persistence, even when I wasn't feeling gracious or kind or warm, I felt it was my responsibility because I needed them more than they needed me. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a, a, a positive approach to it, certainly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's let's talk quickly before we we go into break. What motivated you to do what you've done so far and take action and create positive change in the in the system, not just for yourself, but for the millions of, of, of patients who will feel some of the results of the work that you're doing? I could tell you the exact moment. Um, the one trigger and the, the worst thing that was really the icing on the cake that really got me to a point where I was so angry that I'm like, okay, I have to do something here. When I was pretty much in the heat of my second cancer, so I, I had been at this point through like 37 chemos, and I was just really, really sick. And I was pretty much bedridden. And I received a letter canceling my insurance altogether. And this is a time before the ACA was passed, and it is not illegal at this point to discriminate against people without with pre-existing conditions. So I received an unsigned form letter in the mail basically saying, <laughs> you know, good luck, you've got a couple months, and then you're going to have to find insurance on your own in a climate when no one would touch me with two aggressive pre-existing cancers. So uh, I was, 
you know, I'm watching TV and I see congressmen debating because this is the heat of when they were discussing whether or not health care is a privilege or a right, and they were discussing it so casually. And I got so angry listening to that because I knew that if I was going through this, so many other people were going through this, and I felt so helpless. I, I'm, I write about this in the book that I'm screaming at a TV and no one can hear me, and I kind of made a promise to myself, you know what, if I make it out alive, I'm going to do something about this. I need to figure out a way to advocate and tell the truth about this. Great. So let's take a quick break there, and we're going to come back and hear more um, about your work to create an empowered network of, of patients. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and today's show is sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology and ASI. We will be back right after this commercial break and hear more from Julie. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host, Linda House, standing in today for the CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Kim Tebaldo. And I am so happy to be joined by Julie Klein, who is a cancer survivor and most importantly, author of uh, a new book called My Healthcare is Killing Me, A Personal Journey. And today we're talking about patient empowerment and how Julie went from an active cancer patient to a cancer survivor and now realizing her dream of being an author. So thank you again, Julie, for uh, joining us. And in our last segment, you had just talked about your experience of you know facing a really confusing healthcare system and, and needing to really become your own best advocate. And so I'd like to speak more about that particular experience. And as you know, that's something that's near and dear to uh, the mission of the cancer support community. And so talk to us about, you know, what, what it meant to you to be an empowered patient and, you know, just the importance of taking back some of that control in your experience. Yeah. When you think about the term of patient empowerment, um, I think we have to divide it into two sections. When I think about it in terms of, like, for other people, um, patient empowerment, if you are happy with your doctor and your team, because the second oncologist I had was so good, and his staff was so good, and unfortunately in today's world, oncologists not only have to be good doctors and save your life from cancer, but they have to know how to run a great, effective office, too. So in that scenario, having a good doctor that you trust and having an office that follows up on things so you don't have to do all that legwork, the concept of patient empowerment in that scenario is so much different than the concept of patient empowerment in a scenario where you are at risk of losing access to care. That's when you just got to call on skills that you would never think you have to call on when you're trying to save your life. So it, it really depends, like in my case, when I, I lost my health care entirely, I'm having to be an advocate and trying to find affordable health care while I'm sick as a dog. So um, it, it's very different. But I, I want to go back to what a, an average scenario would look like in patient empowerment. I think it's so important you learn everything you, know, you can understand about your, your disease. And one thing, the cancer support community has really, really stepped up on their website from when I first saw it to, to what it's evolved into. It's really amazing because I know that you guys really listen to the feedback from cancer survivors such as myself. So one of the greatest things you can do is go onto that website and it really gives you local support and questions based on your individual type of cancer so you don't feel like you're walking in and the, the diagnosis and everything is thrust upon you, if you are a part of your, your team and a part of your care, it gives you a sense of power. I, I want to tell a quick story that really encompasses exactly what I'm talking about, about empowerment. My, the second oncologist that I, I absolutely adore, there was a lot of, because I had that rare cancer, the second cancer, there were so many different opinions about how that cancer should be treated. Some doctors said, I, you know, you don't need chemo. Some doctors said you need another surgery. Um, so there was a lot of discussion about how to treat this. And I did have a, a second surgery, and 
I went to the meeting with my mom, and we went and sat down and had a meeting with my oncologist, and I was dead set against getting more chemo. I, I really had had enough. I was exhausted. And my oncologist walks into the meeting and does something brilliant. He says to me, you know what, Julie? You've been through so much already. I'm going to give you the statistics for your type of cancer. These are the statistics of your survival if you get chemo. These are the statistics if you do not. The decision is yours. I'm going to give you 48 hours, and you let me know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. By doing that, he gave me the power. If he walked in, and I ended up getting it because the statistics really spoke to me, and I thought about it, and I said, this is kind of a no-brainer. I have to do this. But if he would have walked in and said, you know what, you need chemo. I know you've been through a lot, but you got to do this. I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been my choice, but just the framing of you get to decide and call me with what your decision is, my attitude about it when I went into it, completely different than if I would have been told this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and the fact that he took the time to walk through the details with you is important. And, you know, one of the things that I really encourage people who are in that stage of you know, being newly diagnosed, newly treated, newly retreated, having to make any sort of treatment decision is to make sure that if their team doesn't sit down and, and answer all of their questions, that they, you know, make, make sure that that happens. You know, ask for it if it's not volunteered to them. Yes, yeah. And I did notice you have a new feature on your website. I hope I get the name right. It's, um, uh, there's a new feature where you can actually have someone go over and call and um, go yes. over the protocol for you? Yes. It's called Open to Options. Is that the that's one you're it. That's it. Open Options. When I heard your video about what that was, that's really amazing. I really wish I would have had that uh, going into the second cancer, some type of support. It took me months to research and, and try to find out um, the protocol for that cancer. So that would have been amazing. Yeah, well, thank you for raising that. And for our listeners, let's, let's just quickly tell them what it is. So Open to Options is a treatment decision counseling model where you can sit with one of our counselors, either face-to-face in our local affiliate or on the telephone with, with one of our telephone helpline counselors and really formulate a plan that you then take back to your healthcare team. Um, it's an agenda for the conversation. What's important to you? What would you like to speak about? What are some of the things that they need to consider as you're you know, talking about um, options, treatment options, side effects, longevity, those type of things. And so this open options program you know, essentially takes what you are thinking, helps you frame it in a way that is easily presentable to, to the healthcare team. Um, and if anyone on this uh, on this show is interested in learning more about that, you're right. You can find information on our website, or you can call our helpline. That number is 888-793-9355 and get information there. So thanks, Julie, for, for, for raising that. That's a um, fantastic feature, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a question. You know, so we're in sort of the season of awareness months, Right, so September yeah. is a lot of you know, it's blood cancer, it's ovarian cancer, it's prostate cancer, it's childhood cancer. I'm sure I'm going to forget. Maybe it's head and neck cancer. I'm sure I'm going to forget one of them. I apologize for that. Um, next month, October is breast cancer. November is lung and pancreas cancer. So this is a time where there's a lot of effort really put into raising awareness, 
celebrity endorsements, those sort of things. You know, talk a little bit about um, about you and you know having someone with your experience and the importance that 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 is attached to someone like you helping to also step up and 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 raise the awareness. I'm I'm really glad you brought this question up because I think when celebrities talk about their experience, it can run the risk of setting an unrealistic expectation of what your experience would be like as, a, as an everyday person. And uh, let me start first by saying how great it is when celebrities do bring awareness to these issues. For example, recently um, Angelina Jolie took a bold step advocating that genetic testing should be covered by insurance. Uh, where you know people like me would have to pay thousands of dollars to get genetic testing done. So having that platform is amazing when we have people that, that have that platform to use. However, <laughs> more than a twinge of envy you know, comes over me when I hear them talk about how they felt so cared for and so loved and um, you know, everyone was so wonderful. That's not the experience that I had, particularly with, you know, with my healthcare HMO. Uh, and you know, do you really think Angelina Jolie is going to get a letter from her insurance company canceling her policy? You know, so the average person isn't really going to have the same experience. And the danger is that we think there's something wrong with us if we don't get that kind of loving, caring response. Um, in, as I said before, I, I'm a nice person, and I wanted to go through my journey as a nice person, and I, I wasn't understanding that all of my skills and all of my managed experience with people wasn't really helping me get to the information and the, uh, the results that I needed. So I knew if I was feeling like that, that other people must be feeling like that, too. And I, I wanted to reach out with the book and say, if you feel minimized or dismissed, it's not you. There's something in the system that pegs the patient against the system. And, and, and you are an example of the average person. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. And what I love about that is... Uh, what, not that, not that I loved your experience, but what I love about <laughs> what you have done with your experience is you've created this vulnerability, right? You've allowed yourself to be vulnerable to say, this is what I went through. This yeah. is how I've handled it, right? right. It, it might have been the right way. It might have been the wrong way. might not be it for everyone, but this is what worked for me. And if, if I can get through this in this way, then others could get through it in their own way as well. Exactly. And, and how that relates to the book. And, you know, those people that know me know that I wrote this and sat on it for six months. I was so afraid to put it out there because it is so honest and raw and vulnerable. And I allow myself to basically write about the, the worst, most hopeless time in my life. But I, when I realized that this could help other people, that's when I kind of said, okay, let me put it out there, kind of cringing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think, and we're going to talk about your book in just a little bit, but I think that you've gotten good feedback from people. I have. I have. It's, it's been wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I want to hear all about that. But I first want to ask you, um, if, you had, if you could do it all over again, not that you would want to do it all over again, but knowing <laughs> what you know now, what would you do differently? You know, I 
I know it sounds like a cliche, but I would have asked for help sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one in my life, in fact, people that knew me at the time read my book and said, oh, I never knew how bad it was, you know. Nobody knew how much I was suffering physically, emotionally, financially. I, I just kept sucking it up. You know, and people would ask me. It's, it was, it's my nature. You know, I, I got diagnosed when I was in my late 40s, and, for you know, for all those years, people would ask me how I'm doing. I'm like, great. And that's still, you know, I could be so sick and tired and weak, and even today, how you doing? Great. You know, but I think I would have been more honest and asked for help instead of just saying I'm fine all the time. Also, I would have used resources more. There are more resources out there now than there were when I was going through it initially, but um, I I think I was the type of person, oh, I don't need support, and you know what? I did. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. We hear that all the time. I would have asked for help sooner and I would have gotten my hands on some of the resources. Julie, I can't tell you how many times we hear that every every day. So thank you for saying that and with the hopes that somebody will hear that and reach out to, to us or some of the other organizations sooner. Yeah, and there's no shame in that. I, I you know, I've always prided myself on being such a self sufficient person that I you know, I don't ask for help. I don't need anybody and that did not serve me. Yeah. Well, and you've got so many people like the cancer support community and our partner organizations with their arms out ready to, to help, all free of, all free of charge. So um, please, please use those resources. Wonderful resources, yes. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, so for, for someone who might be listening to this show, um, you know, where, where can people go in addition to, to us? Where did you find maybe even, even some of the local, local resources that, that might be helpful to patients? Well, um, this is kind of an after-the-fact for part of my healing. Um, what happens is, w- within your organization, I found a local affiliate of Gilda's Club mm-hmm. in my area, and I go to a writer's group. They have a lot of things going on, and everyone in my writer's group is a cancer survivor. And it's just the most wonderful bond because we don't have to explain anything to each other. There's just this innate understanding, and I've made so many really, really wonderful friendships and connections. And, you know, with me, too, laughter gets you through a lot. So if, if I can laugh with my friends, that, that you know, I'm, I'm halfway there in the healing process. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I love a piece of that that I want to I just tease out a little bit because you're, you're a little bit away from sort of the acute phase of your cancer yes. journey. And I, I, I really want to underscore to people that it doesn't matter where you are in the cancer continuum. You are always welcome to find networking, resources. Those, those, those things are always available to you and, and may, in fact, benefit you. Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. So I just I, you know, I want to reinforce that you don't have to be newly diagnosed. You don't have to be in the middle of your treatment, you can be years out of your treatment and um, still participate in programs and services offered by community I'm resources. glad that you said that because I was the type of person, I thought that when I was done treatment, I was going to be able to turn the page and just move on. And um, it's not like that. It's not like that. And that's when I found I needed a different kind of support. Mm-hmm. Because when you're actively in treatment, you're so busy Cancer is a full-time job between managing your side effects and just going from appointment to test to follow-up test to treatment. You're really, really busy. And then when you're done your treatment, you know, you're left with some problems 
you know, in, in, in every way, physical, financial, you know, you're, you're left kind of broken and having to navigate this new world that you're in, that new normal, you know, phrase that's very popular for a reason. Um, you, you know, you kind of are navigating this new world, and it is really wonderful to have support from people who understand. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's a very important point. Well, and you know what's interesting, and I don't know that you even realize that you're doing this, or maybe you do realize that you're doing this, is that so many individuals will participate in a way, you know, after their their acute phase and also become a part of the solution. Yes. So you are, in fact, seeking support in a different way, but you are delivering support to a wide range of individuals who, who, who also need it in their particular phase. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, an example that I, ha- that I also use and I love so much is in our Indianapolis affiliate, we have um, a-, a woman who was a participant and, you know, through her, through her time there, everyone discovered she was a beautiful wa- watercolor artist. And so now she teaches classes um, in the affiliate in the same way that you're coming back and, and empowering patients with, with your book and with, uh, with other uh, initiatives. That's some, it does change you in the sense that because I do have such limited energy, it makes you hyper-focus on what's important in life, and you really get in touch with what brings you joy and what you want to do with that energy, that little precious energy that I have. I laser-focus on what brings me joy and fulfillment. That's great advice, too. Thank you for sharing that. Um, We are going to take a quick commercial break. Um, we will be back shortly after uh, this quick break that is sponsored by Amgen Oncology, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Takeda Oncology, and Genentech. Join us for our final segment in just about one minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Step into a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your guest host today, Linda House, standing in for Kim Tibaldo, who is out. And we are coming up on our very last segment here with Julie Klein, and this time has gone by so fast, but it's been really helpful information. And so Julie is a cancer survivor, former corporate America um, leader, and importantly, an author of a book called My Healthcare is Killing Me, A Personal Journey. And Julie, I want to get to the book, but just, just quickly... In case somebody is just now joining us in this segment and they are newly diagnosed and, and might not be familiar with the healthcare system, what would you recommend that they do right away that could help them navigate the system to become their own best advocate? The first thing that I would recommend is on the Cancer Support Community website, there is a new feature called Open to Options that is phenomenal. And if I would have had that feature when I was diagnosed with my second cancer that I didn't know what to do, uh, you know, didn't know how to treat, it would have really been life-changing for me to have that support and um, direction. So I I think that's a phenomenal feature. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, you know, I think one of the things that I might take the liberty to add to that is also to, uh, to allow themselves time to really understand their full picture. Yes. You know, what kind of cancer do they have? What needs might they have? Where would they be receiving treatment? Um, Just really putting all of those pieces together, particularly, as you've mentioned, with some of the challenges that might arise with their health insurance, you know, and some of the requirements. And I think you indicated that you had the HMO that required referrals. Exactly. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. So, So if someone, you know, finds out that they are in... In a, in a tough situation already, and whether, you know whether it's because the price of health care or difficulty with their insurance company, or you know in, in some situations finding a care provider in their community, especially if they live in more rural population, um, what would you recommend to them, and you know ways that they can stay empowered through those situations? I want to be careful about how I answer this because the, the first thing that I want to say is my heart goes out to them, and I never would have understood before I got cancer. Um, how just overwhelming it is to have to deal with the financial aspect of it in addition to the the diagnosis of cancer is terrifying enough. So I want to be careful not to put excess pr- 
pressure on the patient because some things are beyond their control. And if they can't afford their, you know, the deductions are too high or they can't afford their care, that is where advocacy comes in. And that is where those of us who understand the problem, I believe, have a moral obligation to speak up and tell the truth. And again, that's kind of why I wrote the book, because anyone that was made to feel insignificant or, or minimized because of, you know, they're getting run around, they can't get insurance, um, that's not acceptable. So some things are, are beyond our control, and, and with health care, even though it is no longer legal to discriminate against people with pre-existing conditions, if you live in a state where your governor didn't expand the Medicaid option, you still may not have access. So, you know, that's when advocacy comes in in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I do want to talk about that, um, you know, before we close, ways that you can become an advocate. And I know that you, in addition to the work that you've done on your own book, that you've become advocate, an advocate in different ways. And we'll, we'll chat about that. But let's talk about your book um, just Great. a little bit. <laughs> so it is called My Healthcare is Killing Me, A Personal Journey. It's actually so, a journal, but yeah, close enough. <laughs> so tell, um, tell me, tell us all about it. How did it start? A little bit about the content. What can we expect to, to learn from it? Well, thank you so much for asking about this because it, it basically was a labor of love, and it's, it's a story behind the story. It is not about surviving cancer. It's about the fierce persistence and determination it takes to battle the healthcare industry. So how it started is um, I have always kind of written. Um, it, it was just kind of my way of coping with things. And my style of writing was just to kind of mock things that uh, I wanted to make fun of. And it, it just, you know, if something was unfair or unjust, my way of coping with it was always to write about it and keep a journal. So the book is in a journal format, but I take the reader along with me like a trusted friend to my appointments. And, you know, when I'm having to deal with some of these delays, I write about them and how frustrating it is. And um, I just wanted to write a account, an account of it's bad enough to have to fight cancer, but to have to battle the health insurance industry along with it, it's, it's just not right. It, it just shouldn't be done in this country. So that's where it all came from. And I had no intention initially of making it public. It was just something I was doing to cope. And a friend of mine wrote some, you know, just kind of read some of the journal entries one day, and she said, oh, Julie, you can't sit on this. You, you would help so many people if you shared this. And I didn't see it at the time. I'm like, okay, how can my, you know, my tales of, well, how can this really help anybody? And then when I started making the connection between what was going on in the country and the debate and all the misinformation that was going on about the way that healthcare was being talked about and bantered about, I thought, you know what, I'm the perfect spokesperson for this because I can really speak to someone who was broken by the system that shouldn't have been. You know, I'm very responsible. I, I'm one of these people. I had all my ducks in a row going into this illness, and it broke me in every way. So I, it was kind of a, a reaching out to others and saying, if this happened to you, it's not your fault. There's something in the system that's kind of stacked against us. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and so let me just let me just correct because I I I miss misnamed the, the book for you. <laughs> it is my, my Healthcare is Killing Me, a personal journal, not journey. Yes. But it is, yes. in fact, a journal about your, your cancer journey. About my so journey. So, um, that's why I said, you know what, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I want to make sure, you know, before we go to more in, in, into some of the, the details, um, listeners can find it on Amazon. Yes. I also know that you have a Facebook page under the same I title. Do. Yes, I do. And you can buy it from the Facebook page as well. And more importantly, they can interact with you through that yes, Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yep. yeah, I would love to hear what people think about it. Nothing makes me happier to um, you know, have somebody that's read it and want to talk to me about it. So. Yeah, great. So, so talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, you said that you, so it, 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 was, it was essentially the journal that you kept during your experience, and then you yes. were able to, to, to format it into, uh, in, into the, the book form. And then you said you sat on it for six months. Yes. So, you know, what made, what was the flip? What made you decide to, you know, release this document in such a public way? And, you know, really, what, what are you hoping to accomplish in, a, in the, the best case scenario world? The best case scenario would be, and I know this is kind of a big dream, but I, this discussion, the healthcare debate, has gotten so vitriolic and it's gotten so much about if you're a Democrat, you believe this, and if you're a Republican, you believe this. And when I was getting treated, and when I was, I've spent enough time in a chemo room to know that when you're sick, we don't care who's a Democrat or a Republican. We just want to get out of this alive, and we want to get out of this without it breaking us financially. So I, I wanted to tell the story in a completely non-political way, like this is what happens to someone who gets sick in this country and how it just kind of takes down even the strongest of us. And um, I, I dare anyone to read my story and pinpoint an area where I could have done anything differently to not have gotten into this situation because it did take me down. So... Um, I wanted to share that because going in as a strong, independent, self-sufficient person who never asked for help and needing help, uh, I felt I was the perfect person to to kind of carry that message forward. So I finally just had the courage to release it and say, you know what, people are going to think what they are because it's kind of hard to admit to the world that you've been broken. You know, and it is an account of a time in my life that I was broken. But I do want to say something about the thread of the book, because I did not want to write a book that I didn't want to read myself. So the thread of the book is, it's based on how much harder the journey had to be than it, it should have been. You know, cancer's hard enough. So it's more about the journey of how much harder it could have been, and I think it's a pretty fast-paced read. I add humor in it because I wanted to write a book that I would want to read, and I mm -hmm. didn't really want to read a book about someone's cancer journey. It's more of the healthcare journey, if that makes any sense. Yes, and, and having read the book, I, I, I agree with, with you on, on those points. Um, and so, so you mentioned humor, Talk to us about yeah. humor and, and how you've used it in the book and how you've used it in your daily life. Well, to me, you know, as you know, to me, humor is everything. You know, as long as you can still laugh, it didn't get you. So uh, I even write about getting in trouble in the chemo room for laughing too much and, you know, disturbing the other patients. But um, 
humor was a big part of how I got through it. And the times in my life when I knew I wasn't okay were the times that I couldn't laugh and I couldn't muster up compassion for other people. So um, that is my, humor is my therapy. So it was important that the book represented me. And, and the biggest compliment that people that know me, that read it, say, you know what, I, it, it was so you, Julie. You know, I felt like you were, you were there with me as I was reading it. So oh. it, it's just a very important aspect of my survival. Well, I want you to tell a, a, a quick story, if, if you don't mind. I'm going to throw you, throw you off a little bit with this. But one of the, the funniest stories that I remember was um, when you were in line to take your dad to vote. Yes. Do you remember that story? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Can you do. share a little bit about that? Because it is just, uh, it, it, to me, it was a story of everyday experience in a very touching moment. Yeah, yeah. I wrote, and it's so funny because I, I wasn't going to include that in the book, but I'm like, okay, I have to write about my dad. I adored my dad. And he, he, was, uh, he had lymphoma, and it had come back, and he literally had weeks to live, and he wanted to vote. So my mom and I took him to vote, and I was kind of in charge of navigating the system. So I had to, he, uh, I have to preface the condition he was in. He was in late-stage brain cancer, but he could still, he was still sharp, but he couldn't control his motor functions, and he was walking with the walker, and we get in this long line, and we get all the way up to the top, and I, I, I had prearranged. I talked to someone in charge, and I said, you know what? My dad's competent. He's, he's in his last days of brain cancer. If we can get him up, he can vote. But I'm going to need your help because I have trouble navigating him with the walker. So she goes, if you can get him up here, we can get him to vote. So we navigate and get him all the way up there. And then at the last minute, he looks at me. We, we show him the driver's license. We get him all ready to go. And... Uh, all of a sudden, the last minute, he says to me, Joel, i got to go to the bathroom. So I have to take him all the way back and through the line, and people are yelling and screaming and everything. But um, I think the funniest part of it was when we go up and we had showed the ID to the, the woman behind the counter. He didn't look like he was sharp. So the woman says to him, Stanley, Stanley, do you know what day it is? And my father, and he's kind of drooling, you know, because he, he's got trouble with his motor function. And he's like, nah, one day runs into the next. But I can list the nine Supreme Court justices in alphabetical order. And he starts listing the nine Supreme Court justices. And she goes, okay, I think he's competent to vote. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a very, very heartwarming experience. Very touching, right? Very touching. So, Julie, we literally have about 30 seconds. Um, so in the 30 seconds that we have left, I'm going to remind people, please go visit your Facebook page, interact with you early and often. Look for My Healthcare is Killing Me, a personal journal on Amazon and also on that Facebook page. Give us final thoughts. You know what? I think my final thought is going to be something that Pope Francis said when he addressed the Congress. And he said... Government has a role to preserve the dignity of people through legislation, and we need to take care of our vulnerable. And um, that really, really touched me, and I, I think that says it all. Great. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And you know that I love any chance I get to talk with you about your journey, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram or especially in person. I know our listeners have benefited greatly from hearing you, you talk as well, and they will if they also um, take, a, take time to read your book. So to our listeners, thank you for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am your guest host, Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community. We will welcome Kim Tebeldo back shortly. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. And please listen to Julie's advice to seek help as early as possible. For more information about your, our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, and there you can find a local affiliate near you, and you can also call our telephone helpline, which is 888-793-9355, where we have licensed mental health professionals staffed and ready to speak with you Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., and re- as a reminder, all of our services are provided free of charge. Until next time, be well, do well live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.